Welcome to the Every Day is a New Day podcast and live show. The inspirational show about moving forward and choosing to be more of you. Transmuting the self-doubt and stepping into courageously aligned confidence in who you uniquely are. My name is Kim O'Neill. I'm a twice-certified transformational confidence coach, Reiki master, best-selling author, and former crime analyst who now helps empathic, heart-centered individuals shatter the noise of self-doubt, find clarity on what self-love really looks like, and the courage to be peacefully grounded in who you've always known you are from the inside out. Join me for the live shows on Facebook and YouTube and visit KimO'NealCoaching.com for more info. Let's get to it. All right, and welcome to the Everyday is a New Day show again. I am so excited to be here with you. Whether you are live on Facebook or on YouTube, say hello on the comments. Let me know that you're here where you're joining us from, and of course, as we go throughout today's conversation with another amazing guest, who's actually a repeat guest, let us know what questions and comments you have so we can engage with you throughout the show. With that, I'm gonna just get right to bringing up today's guest onto the screen, and welcome, Dr. Hassan Teda. Hi, Kim, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, how are you? Very good. Good. Pleasure. Yeah, visiting with you once again, and uh, so happy to be a repeat uh, repeat guest. Yes, it's it's an honor because I love what you're doing and who you are. And um, so, so for those who didn't see last year's conversation with Dr. Teta, uh, we spent an hour talking about what he's up to, the work that he does, what he's all about, and it was awesome. And today he has an update for us. And I want to just give everyone some background. And I want to do you. I want to. I want to. Uh, what's the phrase here? Do, do you give you better justice or whatever with um, your background? Because you have such a, like, oh my gosh, there's so much about you that I really just touched on some nuts and bolts of who you were in the last conversation. And I want to share a little bit more with our audience if they haven't yet met you. So for those just meeting Dr. Hassan Teda for the very first time, he is a U.S. Navy captain an associate professor of surgery at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences and an adjunct faculty at Howard University College of Medicine. He is a National Academy of Medicine Emerging Leader in Health and Medicine and a thoracic surgeon for MedStar Health and Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. He leads a specialized thoracic adapted recovery STAR team in Washington, D.C., and his research in thoracic transplantation aims to expand heart and lung recovery and save lives. And so in a nutshell, for everyone, he is a heart and lung transplant surgeon. He also has three master's degrees, a TEDx speaker, was named a TEDMED Frontline Scholar, and received the Ali Sheridan Award by the Thoracic Surgery Foundation for Research and Education. And to top it all off, he is a devoted husband and father. Okay, Dr. Teda, the reason why it is so important that I share all of that with everybody is because all of those accomplishments and accolades, everything about who you are, that's not what stands out the most. What stands out the most is your heart and how you are here to serve people. And so I hope everyone got that just from hearing his bio. And today we are going to talk about his second book in the Art of Human Care series, which is the Art of Human Care for COVID-19. <sighs> Dr. Teta, 
Dr. Hassan, what is going on and what's been happening in your world since we last spoke? Wow. Well, the same thing that's been happening in everyone's world, COVID-19 <laughs> has happened and uh, it has uh, you know, certainly changed the landscape for so many of us. And for me in particular, it's been uh, quite a challenging year. It was a year full of anxiety, of fear, of uh, stress, um, and certainly new beginnings. And I think that um, very early on in the uh, beginning of 2020, sort of at the sort of onset of the pandemic for us here in the US, uh, you know, the spring of 2020, I found myself, I think much like many of my um, colleagues and perhaps many of your guests is sort of in this, you know, funk, you know, um, wondering what was going to happen, what was coming up, what was going to be next, and how would we get through all of this? Uh, and I was for good, bad, or indifferent, uh, you know, possessed with all of this information, uh, not only from what I was seeing in the hospital, but more importantly from my background and, and sort of being one of these avid studies and read uh, sort of pupils and students of pandemics. So I read about all these pandemics in the past, I had all this information, and now we were living through a pandemic. But, you know, existentially, I was feeling pretty stressed because of, you know, things that were going on in our life. We have a lot of family uh, in New York at the time, and as you recall, that was one of the epicenters for the for the for the pandemic. Initially, uh, we had people that were hospitalized that were close to us. Eventually, we had family members that passed away, so that was really sad. Uh, my wife was furloughed from her job. Our kids were at home and come somewhat stressed and trying to adapt to uh, this uh, new normal of being on on you know, tele tele teleeducation. And uh, in the hospital, was, it was a lot of uncertainty and unknowns as to how we were going to, you know, take this all. So I found myself really just stressed out. And, you know, you and I visited, uh, at, you know, early and we talked about the art of human care. And I realized that what I was really in search of and what I really needed was, in fact, the art of human care. I think I, I came to the conclusion that my funk was, was hopefully going to be fixed with, um, you know, embracing the three pillars of the art of human care. You know, I had to apply some of those lessons uh, to myself, uh, finding purpose again, personalizing what was happening in terms of the experience of COVID-19 for me, and then developing some partnerships with those around me, my family, my friends, my colleagues, associates to sort of get to a better place. And, uh, and I thought that, you know, uh, I had planned to write another book in the series. It wasn't COVID necessarily is for another theme and topic, but I thought it was very appropriate and um, and this is how it all came to be. And and uh, I, I was so fortunate and, and uh, you know, through serendipity and happenstance found some brilliant artists that helped contribute. And, uh, and, and what emerged was really um, not only for me a labor of love, but hopefully something that I, I feel and, and, and really pray will be therapeutic for many uh, as we emerge from the pandemic and and sort of try to find uh, you know a new way forward. So that's what's been going on. It's been a lot, I, <laughs> but you know my story is not unique from anyone else's. I think that uh, we all have been you know faced with some challenges during this time. Uh, you know, fortunately, sort of a new day is ahead, and and uh, you know brighter brighter days are uh, seem to be ahead of us now. Your story may not be unique, but your perspective, I believe, is. And, and that's another reason why I, I really wanted to go a little deeper into your bio and your background so people can get a, 
a well-rounded perspective of who you are and what you bring to this whole conversation about the art of human care for COVID-19. And of course, even before the COVID-19 book, you were already talking about what does it really mean to be a healer? You don't just teach people how to do surgery. You talk about the art of healing. And that really showed up, I noticed, uh, as I was reading the second version. Uh, well, it's, I mean, it's definitely in the first one for sure. But it's also really here in this one um, because you go deep into talking about the value of purpose in this one. That's a, There's a huge emphasis of purpose on this one. Would you like to please say some more about the value of purpose? Yeah, absolutely. So the value of purpose was really important for me sort of uh, in this discovery of what was happening for all of us, right? We were all faced with, uh, you know, lots of questions, you know, what what's going on? You know, people around us, loved ones are, are passing away, people are getting sick, we're scared to go out. Um, and you're trying to find and reconcile what was going on, not only in your life, but even outside, right? thinking about people that lost their jobs, they had to really find a new purpose. You know, people that, whose jobs were redefined in this um, pandemic had to rediscover how it was they were going to sort of manage and move forward. And so one of the things I try to espouse in the book is that uh, for me, purpose has always been one of these things that is often discovered and often realized in the act of serving others or helping others. Like your purpose, you know, and having this platform and helping so many people is really an act and it's really a service of helping others. You know, your purpose is to bring these people together. And I find that people are wondering, you know, what's my, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? Well, you find your purpose when you start to, I believe, help others or do things for others, whether you become a teacher, you become an artist, you become, you know, a CEO or a leader of a company, or you're simply just a parent or you're, you know, you're, you're a friend, you know, you're helping someone. And in those times of helping others, you kind of have this purpose sort of emerge and sort of bubble up. So writing the book became a purpose for me because I felt it was important to help, as you mentioned, provide this perspective that I had, which I think was really unique. So true, your, your, your assessment of my perspective was unique because I was uh, you know, a sort of a student of pandemics. I knew a lot about pandemics. I had talked about pandemics before this pandemic was even declared a pandemic. <laughs> and then I, I was working in the hospital seeing patients, but then, you know, sort of on a very personal level, I had family and loved ones that were, you know, succumbing and suffering from the pandemic and, and unfortunately losing their lives to it. And as I talked to other individuals and I had an, an opportunity to talk to people you know, all across the country. And I mentioned this in the book, there was one colleague of mine who I really, re you know, respect. He's, a, he's been my executive coach in the past, who was living in the, at the time and still is in Oregon. And at the time when I talked to him, we were catching up. I was definitely in a funk and he, he immediately recognized that he's very perceptive. And he said, what's wrong? He said, I said, you know, it's this COVID thing. And in his world, COVID was really not an issue at all. He was in a very remote, you know, nice and beautiful place in Oregon where they had literally no cases. So it just was bizarre to him that there was this big hubbub about this thing called COVID when in his world, nothing was happening. And it dawned on me that, you know, it was a matter of time before he would experience it, you know, maybe not to the extent that we had, but it would become something that was a lot more of a, of a, of a threat, 
than what he was experiencing then. And I thought that perhaps writing the book and, pro and providing this perspective in this different context would help people that, you know, no matter what stage in their engagement or sort of continuum with, 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 with uh, COVID in terms of where they were, they would find some, something that resonated with the, with, the, with the stories that I tell and the perspective that I tried to offer. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's such a pivotal time in in our in our lives today, and right. um, you definitely touch on how there is no going back. That life is there is no. Um, you mentioned about people who say, you know, oh, I can't wait for life to get back to normal, and right. how there is no going back to what was normal back then. So, so and, and then, so, go ahead. Exactly. Yeah, that's not because I have this crystal ball. It's just because that's exactly what happened in previous pandemics. The world fundamentally changed with almost every pandemic we have. And they fortunately only happen, you know, every 100 years or so, you know, really big global pandemics, much like the one we just experienced. Right. And if you look at the political sort of world, the, you know, look at the world through an economic lens, through a social lens, through a technology lens, you find these dramatic changes that have happened. And again, this is, you know, akin to what we're experiencing now. And so, yeah, it's not to uh, suggest that, you know, we don't want to go back to a normal and go back to how it was before. But the reality is, I don't think that humankind can go back after a pandemic because it so changes the world in such a way that the world is invariably different. And, and you know what really I appreciated through my writing and through talking to people and really through the only experience that I had the reason why I think the world is so different after a pandemic is because, and this is really the key, we've lost so many souls in such a short period of time. And it's when those people are gone from our lives and from the world and the things that they contribute, the stories that they have um, and the contributions they've made for them to be no longer with us when they were with us just a few short months ago, that fundamentally changes the world. Now people are passing away every day in the world, but not because of one singular thing. There was a time at, and, and, and depending on when you looked at the, the, the timeline across the last year, where COVID was the number one cause of death in the world, depending on where you were geographically. And if you stop and pause and think about that, that's an amazing statistic for something to have, a deadly disease like this. And when those people leave and depart our lives, the world can never be the same again. And, and for that yeah. reason, that's really why fundamentally the world has changed uh, because so many people left the world in such a short period of time and they're not with us anymore. Well, and and what, I, what you mentioned in the book and also I know, I believe what you addressed at one of your book launch events, which was really fun to go to, by the way, um, was it's, it's not just about the doom and gloom, of course. I mean, yes, there's been a lot of heavy emotions around all this, but it's because all of this unexpectedness of the pandemic that really also helps us to laser focus on, okay, what is the true meaning? What is the purpose? How am I using this to support me in moving forward and, and make life even better moving forward? And so, and so anyway, so I love that you bring that into the book and it's, it's not just simply we've had a pandemic and, and that's the end. You're saying, no, this is how we move forward. That's what I hear. So yeah, absolutely. Every, every day, you know, that you kind of wake up 
you know, is really this new day. <laughs> no, 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 no pun intended, right? And what you think about, I at least I did, and I think many people have gone through this. If they're still experiencing this, you know, you you kind of start to have a, a bit of a more, like you said, focused perspective on what's really important and what really matters. And that's why I, you know, I really felt it was it was important to sort of convey these stories of of, of hope and of uh, triumph, and to also really share with people what has happened in humankind when we have been faced with pandemics. We are a resilient species, you know, you know, and we have been able to overcome and in many ways get to a higher and better place after these pandemics. You know, many have attributed the Renaissance, the great Renaissance for which so much has kind of emerged from works of art to enlightenment, uh, having been the product of many years of, you know, many people suffering from the Black Plague. And, and many say, if it wasn't for the Black Plague, there wouldn't have been a Renaissance. And if it wasn't for the Black Plague, you wouldn't have equalized the social sort of, the, the, the sort of European social strata that, that existed and sort of equalized the living playing field that made, made it possible for so many more people to sort of acquire you know, a better uh, you know, existence in life. Uh, and I think that this is going to be one of those times as well. That brings me, that reminds me about a story that you told in the book. And, um, and I believe you told it actually in both books, but it was very relevant. It's the story of how uh, in 431 BC, the Peloponnesian War, the Spartans conquered Athens. And right. in, and you talk about, you know, Athens, you know, for those that don't know, Athens was huge, Spartan, Sparta, I'm not the history buff, by the way, but so Sparta was small. And so yeah. how does that make sense? But you talk, it. yeah, you, you, you talk yeah. about their spirit being crushed because they had their gone through spirit, a plague. Yeah, their spirit was crushed. So, you know, prior to writing this book and prior to the pandemic sort of being this big thing, I, I had an opportunity a few years ago to go to the National War College to, uh, you know, one of the masters you talked about was a master's in national security strategy. So I was definitely a fish out of water. I was the only physician, the only doctor in a class of some talented miraculous, I mean, unbelievably phenomenally gifted officers and senior government officials. And and here I was, the doctor, right? And every time we'd be, you know, we were studying the, these great campaigns of the past, whether they be the Peloponnesian War, the, the campaigns of the World Wars, the great wars in, the, in World War II, Korea, Vietnam, strategy and all those things, I would always look for the health angle because as a physician, I can't help but have the bias that for me, health is always one of these quintessentially important things. And without health, one always has, you know, a handicap because you can never really fulfill, you know, what your purpose is unless you really feel healthy. It's sort of the Maslow's triangle, right? Food, shelter, mm -hmm. health. And then you start to get to the, you know, pinnacle of self-actualization. So I would tell my colleagues, hey, you know, we talk about all these campaigns and these wars. But you know, health is always a very important thing. And if you look at the decisive factor for why one side won or another lost, oftentimes it was because of their inability or ability to combat or to deal with a threat of a disease or some sort of you know, health threat. Um, and so when you look at the Peloponnesian War, which is a classic war that we spend many, many weeks studying, you look at Sparta, very small, you know, geographical sort of footprint in that, you know, wide swath of, of what is known as, as, as ancient Greece. And Athens was the center of civilization. 
And, you know, we made Hollywood movies and sensationalized the 300 and, and the Spartans, and they're all buff and they're, you know, these great warriors from birth. Yes, absolutely. But if you think about Athens being the center, the center of civilization back then, how could a small area with a small population beat a great civilization like that? Well, what often is missed is that Athens suffered a great plague before Spartan dis decisively beat them. And during that time, they lost so many people. You know, I talked about how you've lost so many people, how your world has changed. They lost Pericles, who was one of their greatest statesmen and leaders. They lost, uh, uh, you know, scores of people. And they really had a spirit that was crushed. If you look at the art and the writings of the time, they had people that just fundamentally stopped believing in God and higher powers. And just think about a society that was so crushed and so uh, depressed uh, that almost any enemy could come in and, and I think, you know, potentially take them out. And, and so that was my angle. And that was, uh, you know, <laughs> that was what I espoused, uh, much to the chagrin of my colleagues who would say, no, it was the great strategy. It was the, it was, <laughs> so I think those things certainly contributed, but I, I would not discount or minimize the, uh, the impact of the, uh, of the plague as well. Aside, aside from, oh, I think there's an echo. Can you hear that? Um, is it playing on your computer by chance? Are we on your computer right now? No, I don't hear an echo. No? Okay, maybe it's it's gone now. Okay, it, okay, okay, so, okay, moving ahead. Okay, so aside from purpose being uh, something that really can support people in moving forward, what else would you recommend for people to have, have more resiliency in being able to come out of this a different person? Because you also talk about that in the book, coming out of this a different person than when you walked in. Yes, I think uh, the other thing that's, uh, the other two things are sort of the principles in the book again. It's personalizing what that is in terms of what it is that you sort of experience in the, in the pandemic, what you're experiencing as you emerge from the pandemic, and what you're going to do to sort of help you to get to a better place. That's going to be a very personal journey for everyone. It's gonna be different for me, it's gonna be different for you, Kim, it's gonna be different for any men in the audience. And so while we are, because humans do this, this is what we do, we listen to, hey, it worked for that. That person started to exercise, that person started to read books, that person took up a hobby, that person changed jobs, that person got married, that person got divorced. You know, All of these things are gonna be personal, very personal and individual for each person. So I think what's really important is taking a great inventory on what matters most to you. And I think that's really what this time has given a lot of us some opportunity to really reflect upon, right? What is it that's really important to me? Did I really like this job? Was I really passionate about this career? Maybe I should have done something different. Maybe I can do something different. So I think it's going to be a personal journey for everyone. And, and what I would like to do and what I hope I did in the book was give you some questions to think about. And, and really, you're going to be finding the answers per, that personally apply to you and your state of affairs in your life. And then the final part of it, of, of, of partnerships, was really important because I think that we have recognized how powerful partnerships are. If it weren't for partnerships and collaboration and great cooperation, we would not have got to the point of where we are right now, where we have been able to sort of emerge. We've been able to kind of roll up our sleeves and figure out a way to still do work even though we were sitting at home we got a, we figured out a way to still educate children albeit imperfect but still do it in such a way that was different than before 
And it was the great partnerships, the collaboration, the scientific cooperation that really came together in, in such a way to give us the opportunity to have vaccines, which have now sort of liberated, you know, at least those of us here in the States, right, to the point where we feel as if there is a possibility to sort of get back to opening up again, you know, perhaps not wearing masks and, and not having the social distancing anymore because the vaccines have been able to help us be protected from something that was once before uh, much more lethal. So I think partnerships are, is, is the other thing. And, and you're gonna find partnerships with your own circle, you know, your friends, right. your, your support system, your social network, and, and, and those, those, those attributes are gonna be very important. Those connections are gonna be absolutely important. I, I want to share a couple of quotes from the book that I, I really liked. Um, on the screen here, Darwin didn't say survival of the fittest, but rather survival of those most responsive to change. And I love that because that really highlights um, that we don't have to feel necessarily like we're in a war or a battle, but rather how can we evolve through this? And I hear more freedom and openness um, in that. Would you like to elaborate on that quote? Yeah, I love that quote, you know, because a lot of people say, oh, Darwin says survival of the fittest. And it's actually not really verbatim survival of the fittest because I think that doesn't tell the most complete story. It's survival of the most responsive to change. like. If you think about how we all deal with stress, right? There are different ways to deal with stress and loss and disappointment, failure. You know, you could hide under a rock. You could, you know, you can, you know, abuse substances. You can do worse. You can think that it's not worth living anymore and unfortunately, you know, commit the greatest thing, which is, you know, ending it all. Or you could say, you know what? This failure is not the end of me. I'm still alive. I still have an opportunity to go back and retake that test. I have a, I have an opportunity to go back and retool, get better skills, go back and try for another job. I have an opportunity to fundamentally change my career and go a different way. Maybe that major wasn't the right major for me. Maybe I could do something else. You know what? That person left me. They walked out of my life. They don't know what they're missing. I'm going to be the best version of myself. And whoever comes back into my life next is going to be so grateful that I'm here. So that is all a matter of responsiveness, right? Of responsiveness to a trigger, a change, a stressor, a something that has sort of derailed our sort of path in such a way that it really focuses us on, all right, how am I going to deal with this? And I think it's in that reflection of how you deal with things that really provides us with the insight to, to move forward in, in a better way. And so that's why I love that quote, because I think it really encapsulates what, what life is all about. I mean, you without struggle, there is no life, right? And, and it's all a matter of how you adapt and change to that, that struggle, and more importantly, how yes. you respond to it. Yes. It, and I actually love the example you gave about, um, you know, people people choosing to go different ways and parting and um, exiting lives. Uh, maybe you're still alive and certain relationships have ended because I know a lot of people have experienced that throughout this. And um, it can be a very devastating thing. And yet at the same time, um, one of the, you know, one of the gifts of COVID is it's brought us all back into ourselves and what you've already touched on, you know, like what's important for me. Okay. This thing ended, that thing changed. I didn't expect it. And I now get an opportunity to rechart my course forward. And, um, 
And yeah, right, right now I know I just, that's a perfect example about relationships. I love it because partnerships is one of your other, one of your other three main points in the art of human care. And, um, I personally believe that it's all about first partnering with yourself so that you can be a partner for others. So I love that. And what we're doing right now is partnering as well to sort of tell stories, motivate, inspire, and help people realize every day is a new day. You have an opportunity to the best possible day it can be. And everything that kind of emerges from that is just, uh, you know, just, it's just cream. It's just cream on top of it all. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. We have Helene who's saying amen. So yes, yes, yes. Uh, And I did not mention yet, and I should have mentioned this at the beginning, but I'll say it now. We are giving away copies of the art of human care for COVID-19. And all that you will contribute is paying for the shipping. And so if you would like a copy of this, I'm giving a copy to the first 10 people who say that they would like a copy and simply tell me at Kim O'Neill at outlook.com. It is K-I-M-N-E-I at outlook.com to think about that. And I would be happy you a copy uh, in exchange for the shipping cost only. KimOneillaOutlook.com. There we go. I'll go ahead and put that up on the, there we go. And um, okay. I have another quote that I want to share that uh, is from the book. And this speaks to the theme of what the Everyday is a New Day show is really touching on this year. It's all about letting your light shine. And I love that you reference it in your book book, um, not the movement, but you touch on letting your light shine. You said, nope, that's your website. You want to go there too. This is the link. This is the quote. You said, be a light. When there is light, there is hope. And um, will you say a few more words about that? Oh my gosh. So I have, uh, you know, so it's so, it's so touching and endearing that we have this sort of common thread of like being this light. I, I came back, and this is where I, where I came from, really, and why I, I have this theme that pervades through almost every aspect of my life. I came back from a very difficult deployment uh, in Afghanistan uh, many years ago, and uh, it was such a trying and challenging time then, you know, during that, you know, many, many months away from family, and, 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 and we saw such death and destruction and, and, and folks mortally injured. And it was a tough, tough time. And we lived hard. We, we saw really terrible things. And we took this long journey coming back. I mean, it took us almost a week to get back to the States. We were on our way back home. And, you know, we were so excited we we're coming back home. But it was such a long journey to get back. And when we finally got back, we landed and we got back. You know, we were in, in Camp Lejeune. So we got back to the Carolinas. It was sweltering hot as usual. And it was dark. And it was it was like in the middle of the night. And all we wanted to do was get our bags and just get to you know, barracks and just kind of decompress. We were going to have to stay on the base for another few days. So it, it wasn't even at the end. We were getting to the end, but it wasn't quite there. And it was really dark. And they opened up the, the sort of quad con to get our stuff. And it was dark, Kim. Nobody could see inside. And nobody could get their stuff. And can you imagine, like, you know, you've taken a long trip and you just want to get your luggage and just, like, just, just, just have it end. And it was like, oh my gosh, we've got all this way. We, we can't get our stuff and just go. And I happened to have a flashlight in my pocket. 
And I mean, you can imagine this whole like unit just gets back. We're exhausted. We're tired. We're stressed out. We want to see our families. We're hungry. We're and you can imagine everything from a you know long journey. And we couldn't see. And I had this flashlight, and I pulled it out, and I was like, I got a flashlight. And I flashed the light into the darkness. And I mean, it was like Nirvana. It was like, ah, you know, <laughs> the light. And and that light gave us all hope. We were like, oh, thank goodness we can get our stuff. We can finally like get complete again, be complete again. We can get our things and just go, you know, you know, continue our existence, you know, and try and get get to a place where we can just finally rest because it was such a long journey. And I remember that time because I remember everyone being so grateful that at the time, you know, Hassan Teta had the light. I had a flashlight and I thank God. I was like, thank God I have this flashlight. And for me, anytime I remember that, that, that symbolic kind of, you know, um, experience that I had of bringing the light into darkness and how impactful that was for all of us that had just come back. I mean, it seems like a little thing, but it was almost like this was the capstone of a seven plus month journey of of just everything was dark. And then we end in darkness to have that light. It was this ray of like hope that came into like, hey, we're back. We're back home. We made it. We lost some people. Some people didn't come back with us. None of us are coming back the same way. But listen, there's light now. You know, there's hope. Let's let's gather our things and let's start to, you know, let's start this process of healing and redeployment, which is what we call when we come back home. And it's not going to be easy, but it was a moment for me that I'll never remember. I'll never, I'll, I'll never, I'll never forget. I'll always remember. And it was, it was one of those moments. So that's kind of where that quote came from. So obviously it was a lot to write, but that be a light when there's light, there is hope. That was really for me that the epitome of that, you know, bringing that hope with that flashlight at that time. It was, it was, it was really meaningful. <laughs> That's a great story. That's a story. great story. I'm hearing the echo again. Sorry. It always when I hear it. I want to acknowledge that another thing you said in this book is you talk about um, you give an acronym of Illuminate, which yeah. provides more more tips for people to find resiliency in moving forward. And I'll leave that for people to find out about in the book. And I am happy to see we have we have Martha with us who's saying, I want a copy. Martha, you get a copy. Email me at kimoneilatoutlook.com and uh, we'll work out the shipping and I'm happy to send you a copy for sure. So awesome, awesome. Oh, Dr. Teta. Okay. Let me make sure that people do have your website where they can also, of course, find more information about you and the book, the book series. You have a third book that's coming out. Um, when is that one coming out? Oh, it'll be out at the end of the summer. Okay. Okay. And is there a special, what's the title for that one? That one's The Art of Human Care with Artificial Intelligence, AI. There we go. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Dr. Teta, is, is there anything we haven't touched on that you want to make sure to share with today's audience? No, Kim, you've been so gracious and generous with your time and for sharing your great audience with, with me and and for uh, you know providing so much support, I am so eternally grateful to you. And I will, uh, I will always be a fan. <laughs> I'm always going to be a fan of Kim O'Neill and, and all the work that you do. So you are an inspiration. Thank you for bringing your light to the world. And I really appreciate the opportunity to, to share some time with you. Thank you. And you are a gift to the world. So thank you.
I want to pop up another quote we did. We touched on, um, but I didn't quite share this one. COVID-19 is collectively giving us a purpose. And I share that at the end here because I would like to just remind everyone about that. And if you haven't yet considered that, then what is COVID-19 helping to show you about your purpose? If you haven't yet ever felt that you had a purpose, which I deeply believe everyone has a purpose, and we always get opportunities in life to reframe and redirect, and this is another one of those. And Dr. Teta so awesomely shared that in this book. And we don't even touch on, I, okay, I've gotta say a few more things here. This is not just a book that talks about COVID-19. Dr. Teta, you didn't want to be a surgeon when you were a kid. You wanted to be an artist. That's right, yeah. And you do a fantastic job of weaving artistry. You did touch on how you have artists who have contributed their artwork to this book, but also you, you're a poet and you have beautiful writing in here, you know, in addition to your perspectives and your stories. I mean, this is a great book to just, you've got just so many little tidbits and nuggets for people who like to read bite-sized things that are inspiring. This is an awesome book. So I want to make sure people know that. Um, Okay, well, Dr. Teta, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate your time. I know you were coming uh, from surgery and working with, with real life patients and human situations. And so thank you for being here today, taking time out of your schedule. And um, thank you for all that you do. And for everyone who's been here with us today, whether you were live or on the replay, let us know what you're taking away from today's conversation. Remember to go to drteta.com to learn more about Dr. Teta and his work and his books. He has lots coming out. He also has other books in addition to The Art of Human Care. And if you haven't yet joined the Let Your Light Shine movement, I want to remind you that you have an open invitation to do so. And that link is on the screen. For our audio listeners, it is bit.ly forward slash Let Your Light Shine movement. You being you are a beautiful bright light and an inspiration contributing to a, an empowering ripple effect on the planet. So with that said, have an amazing day, everyone. I will see you again very soon with another episode. If you liked today's episode, please do share, like, and comment and all of that. And I'll see you all again very, very soon. Stay right there, Dr. Teta. Bye, everybody.